Well, I can't even dance, but that song makes me want to slow dance with my wife. I just got to tell you that. Sex. It's everywhere we turn, isn't it? I mean, you can't avoid it even if you want to. You turn on the TV, it's there. You surf the Internet, it's there. You, you use your phone, it's there. Driving down the road, it's there. You're walking in the mall, it's there. You're, you're just going down the street, it's there. It's everywhere we turn. And to say this hasn't had an impact on our beliefs and our practices is absurd. There's a book, it's a secular book, that was written in 2011. It's entitled Premarital Sex in America, How Young People Meet, Mate, and Think About Marrying. And in that book, they talk about a report by the Guttmacher Institute that says 95%. Let me say that again. 95% of Americans have had their first experience with sexual intercourse before marriage. It goes on to say that most sexual relationships no longer result in marriage and an increasing number of Americans aren't marrying at all. It seems that the new norm is hook up, shack up, break up, and then repeat. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's the world, that's not the church. But the truth is, even though the church may be doing somewhat better, it's not doing that much better. According to the 2014 State of Dating in America that was republished by Christian Mingle and J-Date, 61% of Christians said they would have sex before marriage. 61%. 56% said that it's appropriate to move in with someone after dating for a time between six months and two years. Now, whether those statistics are accurate or reliable is perhaps debatable. But what is not debatable is that the truth that our views about sex are changing. And even our views about sex in the church are changing. Now, and I'm so thankful for the church. I, I'm thankful that I was raised in the church because if I wasn't, there's no telling where I would be. It was in the church that I first heard about Jesus and and accepted him as my savior. It was in church that, that I got my moral compass. It was in church that I found forgiveness and restoration when I messed up. But I've got to be honest with you. There are some areas which I believe the church, which I'm a part of, and which many of you are a part of, has messed up. We have dropped the ball. And one of those areas is the area of sex. Most churches never talk about sex. And if we do... What we say is this, don't do it. And if you do do it, there are severe consequences. You're going to get a venereal disease, you're going to get AIDS, someone's going to get pregnant, and your life is going to be miserable from that time on. And that could be true, but the fact of the matter is telling kids that isn't keeping them from having sex. Now, some of you may be thinking that, that it's the responsibility of the parents to talk about sex. And we shouldn't bring this up in church. And, and it's true. It is the responsibility of parents to talk about sex. But in a recent Time Magazine article, it said that Americans are talking to their kids too little 
and too late when it comes to sex. Now, I love my parents. They raised me to love Jesus with all of my heart. But they never had a sex conversation with me. My dad never sat down with me and talked to me about sex. He never talked to me about puberty. He never talked to me about the changes that my body would go through. And, and I've got to be perfectly honest with you, and, and I'll be transparent with you. When, when those changes occurred, I wasn't prepared for them. And when the temptations, the sexual temptations came in my life, even though I had a moral compass and I had a moral foundation, I've got to be honest with you, I messed up. I blew it. I didn't follow God's word in this area. And the truth of the matter is, many parents, and I would dare say most parents, never really have that detailed conversation with their kids. And let's face it, it's kind of an embarrassing subject, isn't it? I mean, I've had to put on makeup so that I won't blush this morning as I talk to you. It's an embarrassing subject for us to talk about. And, and even when it comes to our kids, we get embarrassed when we talk about this. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. We've got to talk about it. But listen to me. Even if it is a parent's responsibility to talk to their kids about sex... It's also the church's responsibility. You see, I've got to believe that, that God expects a Bible-teaching church to speak on everything that this book speaks on. And so when the Word of God speaks very clearly about salvation, we speak on that. When, when the Word of God speaks about murder and stealing and, and drunkenness, we must speak on that. And when the Word of God speaks on sex, both the good and the bad, we have to speak on that or we will be amiss to what God has called us to do. So where, we, where, do, where do we begin? Well, first, there are three basic views when it comes to sex. The first view, the view that dominates our culture today is this. Sex is God. Or at the very least, sex is a God. This belief is found all around our culture today. And, and it says this, in order for you to be fulfilled, in order for you to be satisfied, you must have all your sexual desires met. Whatever sexual desires you have, if you don't meet them, then you will never be satisfied, you'll never be fulfilled, you'll never be free in life. But listen to me, that view is idolatry. Now, I know that some of you are going to resist what I just said, but listen to me. Idolatry is placing anything in the position of most important in your life other than the one true God. Idolatry is when we long for something so much that it begins to control our life. It's when we begin to believe that someone or something else other than God can meet the needs of our life. And I've got to tell you, in our sex-saturated culture, we've bought into that. You see, idolatry begins in our heart with our desires, but then it moves into our practices and it becomes a priority in our life. 
You see, it's only when our ultimate desires change that our practices will change. And so when, when our ultimate desire is for a husband or a wife or our ultimate desire is to get married so that we can have sex, I want you to hear me. That is your God. It's your God. And that's idolatry. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus, who is God alone, is the only one that that can give you true freedom. He is the only one who can give you satisfaction. He's the only one who can give you fulfillment. And he is the only one who is worthy of our worship. And what's interesting is, is when we read through the Bible, we see people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament placing sex up as a God. As a matter of fact, many of the religions in the Old Testament had sex gods. And when you went to the temples to worship, there were sacred temple prostitutes that you could pay money to have sex with so that you could worship God. We see that in the New Testament. Not only Rome and not only Ephesus, but all of your Greek and Roman cities were filled with temples to the worship of sex gods. The goddess of Aphrodite had a temple in Corinth with over a thousand temple prostitutes. That's why Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 1, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped, listen, They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. And so what happens is we begin to to worship sex, something that God created, rather than the one who created it himself. So many people in our culture believe sex is God. It's, It's the driving force in our life. There are other people that say sex is gross. Now in the Dominant view in our society today is sex is God. And, and yet we will also see many people in our society today who say sex is gross. And the reason is because the church has kind of taught that. I mean, we we've believe that sex is a taboo subject. It's something that we, we don't talk about. And certainly we don't talk about it being fun. And so it becomes taboo. It becomes something that we don't talk about, we don't do, and and it's a dirty thing. The early church had this false belief. Clement of Alexandra said this. He said, intercourse is sin unless it's done purely to beget children. That was one of the early church leaders, Tertullian and Ambrose. Both preferred the extinction of the human race to sex. Crazy. Origen castrated himself to keep from acting on his sexual desires. Jerome, he used to throw himself into a thorn bush whenever he had sexual thoughts. Crazy. Chrysostom, who was one of the great preachers in the first church said that Adam and Eve could not have had sexual relationships before the fall. 
No wonder the Catholic Church puts on a pedestal priests and, and nuns who make a vow to celibacy, who make a vow to, to stay chaste and never get married because they come from a background that has told us that sex is gross, sex is dirty, sex is vile. And if you ever do, do it, then only do it to have kids. And if you enjoy it, then you've sinned. And that is so wrong. The book we're studying, Song of Solomon, is a series of love songs, love songs, that if you read this book already, you have discovered they're very erotic in their nature. It's these songs that this husband and this wife are singing to one another, and it's all about their desires and their sexual intimacy, and it's very provocative, and it's very detailed, and listen, it's very graphic. Now, there's some people throughout church history who have, who have struggled with that. And they said, well, Song of Solomon isn't really about sex. It's about how Christ loves the church. And let me tell you, I believe you can find Christ in everything. But, but can I tell you, and I want you to listen. You read the book of Song of Solomon. You read the descriptive language that is used. And I've got to tell you, if that is primarily talking about our relationship with Jesus, it's just pretty weird. It really is. This is not primarily talking about our relationship with God. It's primarily talking about a relationship that we have as men and women, husbands and wives. And so some believe sex is gross. Now, both of those views are wrong. Sex is God. Sex is gross. Both of them are wrong. The biblical view is sex is a gift. You see, God is the one who came up with this idea of sex in the first place. He's the one who created it. He invented it. He thought it up. And when our first parents consummated their relationship, God was not appalled. God was not angry because he created their bodies and he created our bodies for sex. The reason that sex is fun and pleasurable is because God gave it to us as a gift. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we're told God created Adam, and then he created Eve, and he brought her to Adam, and through sexual intimacy, the Bible says that the two were united and became one flesh, and then listen to what it says. It says they were naked, and they felt no shame. There was no guilt, there was no shame, there was no remorse. They were sexually intimate with one another, and yet there was no guilt. And all of this happened before the fall. The fall occurs in Genesis chapter 3. Before sin ever entered the world, God created sex, and he gave it to mankind as a gift. And he created us in such a way that this union, this becoming one, it can not only bring life in the world, it creates a bond, a unique bond between a, a man and a woman. And it brings immense pleasure to our life. And God didn't have to do that. I mean, God could have created us where, I mean, we could have done the E.T. thing, you know, stuck out our finger and you know, phone home, we could have, you know, touched our index fingers and, and the woman could say, well, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Call the parents, tell them we're expecting a boy. 
I mean, God could have done it where we could have rubbed noses. God could have done it where, you know, we could have... God could have done it so many different ways. He could have made our bodies where there was no pleasure that was experienced in sex. And yet God didn't do that. God created our bodies in such a way, and the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He created our bodies in such a way that that we can have immense pleasure, both men and women, through the act of sexual intimacy. In fact, listen, God is so good, and this gift is so good, that he has designed women, and he has given them a body part that is only function is sexual pleasure. It's only function. And you say, I can't believe you said that in church. God created us. And if you don't know that, I'm sorry. I really am. There's some wonderful books in Lifeway that you can go and get. You need to read those books. You need to check up on this stuff. It can really make a difference in your life. God created us in that way. You see, it is clear biblically that God's design and plan is that human beings receive this gift and experience incredible pleasure from it. That's God's plan. That's God's design. That's been his plan from the beginning, that that we have union, we have intimacy, and we enjoy sex. Now, I know that sounds strange in church, but, but here's what I believe. God wants his children, Christians, to enjoy sex more than anyone else. And and I believe Christians have the ability to do that. I mean, if God is the one who created sex in the first place, then shouldn't he be the one who knows best how to experience joy in it? I mean, let me give you an illustration. This is my iPad mini. Now, my iPod, uh, iPad mini, I, I bought so that um, I can um, download sermons on it, my sermons, and carry them around with me when I go on trips. I can listen to music. I can do all kinds of things. But I discovered that this iPad does so much more. I mean, you can take incredible pictures with it. You can play games on it, though I've not really discovered how to do that. I, I mean, there's all kind of apps that you can download on this thing. I mean, it's amazing all that this iPad mini can do. But if I want to find out, really, what can this iPad mini do, I'm not going to get on the phone and call Samsung support and say, hey, I've got an iPad mini. Can you tell me how this thing works? How can I get the most um, joy, the most pleasure, the most reward from my iPad mini? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call Microsoft. Microsoft is going to hang up on me. I'm going to call Apple, and I'm going to say, I've got an iPad mini, and I need to know everything it can do. I need to know how to use this thing effectively and properly so that I can, I can experience everything that it was created to let me experience. Now, the amazing thing is, we as Christians, when it comes to sex, instead of going to the one who created it, God himself, we go to the world. We, we hook up on the internet, we, we get magazines, we buy books, and we try to find everything that the world has to say about sex instead of going to the one who invented this idea in the first place, and that's God. And so what does God say about sex? 
Specifically, what does God say about sex before marriage? Let me give you two things that we learn in Song of Solomon. First, it's normal when two people have been dating and have entered into courtship to have sexual feelings for one another. Did you hear me? When two people are dating, they have feelings for one another, they've begun to court, they've gotten, they've gotten close. It's, it's normal, it's natural for those people to have sexual feelings for one another. Listen to what it says in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 5. We read this last week, but it says, Strengthen me with raisin cakes. This is Shulamite speaking. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. Now, in case you missed last week, raisin cakes were considered an aphrodisiac. They felt like the seed from the raisin cake would help you get pregnant. And so let me tell you what Shulamite was saying to Solomon. She said, Baby, I want to make love to you and have your babies. That's what she was saying. Now remember, they weren't married. They didn't get married to chapter 3, the end of chapter 3. And yet we don't read in chapter 2 that God says to Shulamite, Oh, time out, wait a second. The thoughts and the desires that you have are bad, they're wrong. God never says that. As a matter of fact, God is the one who created us with these desires. God knows those desires, and he knows that those desires are natural. And what's interesting is as we read Song of Solomon, we discover that both Shulamite and Solomon had these desires. And there's nothing wrong. Hear me. It's not a sin if you're unmarried and and you really love someone To have sexual desires for them. That's not not sin. That's normal. The Bible says your desires are natural. They're normal. But what the Bible does say is God expects us to control those feelings until we're married. Did you hear me? God gives us the desires. He gives us the feelings. But he expects us To control ourselves and control those feelings until we're married. Chapter 2 verse 7. We read this. It says, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Three times in the book of Song of Solomon we read that phrase. And what they are saying is this. We have made a commitment, we've made a vow to one another and to God that we are not going to act on these desires we have until the time is right. And the right time is marriage. Now you may be thinking that that throughout the Bible God put boundaries on us to to cause us to, to limit our pleasure so that we wouldn't enjoy our sexual freedom. But what we actually discover is God puts these guardrails in place to protect us so that we can enjoy one day all the pleasures he has for us in marriage. He is the creator and he knows your experience will be so much better if you wait and you follow his instructions. So the question we should ask is not, where is the line, but when is the time? You see, so many people who aren't married, they say, can I do this? Is it okay for me to do this? Where is the line? And what they're saying, let's just be honest. When we're asking these questions, where is the line? What we're saying is, 
how close can I get to sin without stepping into sin? That's what we're asking when we're saying, where's the line? And what you need to understand is the Bible doesn't give us a line. The Bible gives us a time. The Bible says there is no line. But what you need to understand is the time is after you're married. And after you're married, between a husband and a wife, have fun. Enjoy one another. That's what Solomon and Shulamite did. They enjoyed one another. Here's the bottom line. Any sex, any sex outside the relationship of a covenant marriage is sin. Now why? Why is this such a big deal to God? Well, let me give you two reasons. First of all, because sex is more than physical. Sex is spiritual. Now, the lie that our culture tells us is that sex is just a physical act. And if you believe in, in um, evolution, you believe that we're no different than other animals, then, then that may be true because we just have animal instincts and we need to act on those instincts. But here's the truth. Even people that believe in evolution don't believe that. Very few people really believe that. I'll prove it to you. Let's just say that tomorrow a 25-year-old woman comes up to you. And she says, I really need to talk to you. Twelve years ago, I was playing in a tree and I, I fell out of that tree and I broke my arm. And, and though it's been 12 years since I broke my arm, I just can't get over it. I, I have this emotional trauma because I broke my arm. Now, now, I know compassion isn't my strong suit. But, but I think many of you are kind of like me on this. You, you would say, man, I am so sorry, but you need to get over this. It was a broken arm. Your arm is healed. You're okay. Can you use your arm? Is it in pain? No. Well, praise God. Get over it. But. Suppose a 25-year-old woman comes up to you tomorrow and says, I need to talk to you. Twelve years ago when I was 13 years old, I was sexually molested and abused. And I can't get over it. It's always on my mind. It's always in my thoughts. It plagues me. Now, there's not a person in here who would say, get over it. I mean, sex is just a physical act. There's nobody in here that would do that. And the reason we wouldn't do that is because we know sex is more than a physical act. It's an emotional act. It's a spiritual act. It is the bringing together of two souls and we would know that, that something deeply wrong has happened to this girl. And it's not just on a physical level. It's on a spiritual level. Because you see, sex is not just physical. It's spiritual. In Genesis 2.24 it says, For this reason a 
man will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God is saying that when two people consummate their marriage through sex, they are becoming one. They are connecting their souls. Someone said it this way. They said sex is meant by God to be one of the bridge experiences between heaven and earth. It awakens and intersects our deepest physical and spiritual desires. I want you to listen to what God says in his word about sexual intimacy. Genesis 4 verse 1 in the King James, it says this, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and then she conceived. And she bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, the Bible isn't being prudish there when it uses the word know or knew as a euphemism for sex. The Hebrew word there is yada, which speaks of an intimate kind of knowledge. It's not the word for sexual intercourse. It's the Hebrew word for, for intimate knowledge. Yada refers to knowledge where you are fully exposed, mind, body, and soul before another person. And yet at the same time you are fully loved. Yada means that you are fully known by someone. And even with all your faults, you are fully loved by that person. God says that in marriage... Sex is that gift that allows two people to experience that, that commitment of fully knowing and fully loving each other. You see, God intended sex as a gift that ignites that kind of intimacy and that kind of bond that's not only on a physical level, but it is on a spiritual level. That's why any sex outside of marriage falls short. Because it's not what God intended. Sex outside of marriage and regardless of what you say. And guy, regardless of how much you say you love her. If you loved her, you would wait. Any sex outside of marriage is trying to grab the physical without the spiritual. And you're never going to experience everything that God expects and desires and intends. Did you know... That almost every study reports that couples who are committed in monogamous relationships experience the highest sexual pleasure in their relationship. Did you know that? Couples who are committed in monogamous relationships experience the highest sexual pleasure. Doesn't matter whether they are in their 40s or their 50s or their 60s or even older. Studies reveal that those couples who, who are committed to one another and who have experienced yada, that intimate knowledge, find so much pleasure, so much more pleasure in that sexual relationship than, than people who hook up or, or shack up or go from relationship to relationship. And the reason is it's because the longer a couple is been together and the longer they have gotten to know one another and the deeper the bond has grown and the intimacy has developed there's just there's just more transparency there's more openness there's more freedom there's there's less expectations and with less expectations come greater joy it's just a fact 
Now, now let me give you a food picture to try to explain what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever been to Rio's or Brazilian Steakhouse? If you haven't, you need to go. It's worth the experience. You will commit gluttony, but it's worth it. Now, let me just give you a little background. Rio's is a, it's a Brazilian steakhouse where you go into the restaurant, you sit down, and, and at your table, you're going to have a card. On one side, it's green. On the other side, it's red. And as long as the green card is up, the, these, these people are going to bring you meat, fillets, bacon wrap fillets, Parmesan-crusted sirloins, ribeyes, pork, chicken, everything that you can imagine, and they just bring it, and they bring it, and they bring it. As long as your card's on green, they bring it. And you eat, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat, if you're a meat lover like I am. Now, whenever I go to Rio's, I got to prepare. And what that means is this. If I'm going to Rio's, I'm not going to eat lunch because I want to be hungry. I don't want to just be hungry. I want to be hungry. And so imagine I've got a reservation for Rio's at 5 o'clock. But at 4 o'clock, my stomach starts growling. I think, well, you know, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. So I go into the kitchen, and I open up a big bag of Doritos, and I eat that big bag of Doritos. Now, isn't that a waste? I mean, I've got all this incredible food to look forward to if I will just wait. And yet, because of my impatience, I open up this cheap bag of Doritos and stuff myself on something that's never going to really be enjoyable by me. And that's what people do with sex. See, God never intended for it to be that way. God's intended for sex to be intimate. And let's take it a step further, and we've got to hurry here. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20. I want you to look up this verse later and read it. Listen to what Paul says. He said, don't you realize that your bodies are parts of Christ's body? Did you get that? He's talking to believers. If you're not a believer, then you don't need to listen. This isn't for you. But if you're a believer, did you hear what he said? Do you not realize that your body is part of Christ's body? Should I take the parts of Christ's body and make them parts of a prostitute's body? Now, I think it's obvious what he's talking about there, right? I mean, I'm not going to give you the word picture. You ought to be able to figure it out yourself. But what he's saying is because Christ is in me and I am part of Christ's body, when I am involved in sexual immorality, I am causing Christ to be involved in sexual immorality. Then he goes on and he says this. I want you to hear it. He says, other sins that people commit don't affect their bodies the same way sexual sins do. People who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. Have you ever heard someone say, well, it really doesn't matter because sin is sin and, you know, I've had my sins forgiven and so, you know, it's okay. It's not okay. There are two sins that God singles out in Scripture. The one is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Hear me. The other sin is any kind of sexual sin. God says to us, don't you know that this sin is against your own body? No other sin is, but this sin is. What is God saying? God's saying this is a big deal. 
And then he tells us that any sex outside the covenant relationship of husband and wife is sin. And it separates us from God. And the truth is, in Scripture, the word that most often is used is the Greek word porneia, which means all sexual sin. Every kind. And it doesn't matter whether it's pornography. It doesn't matter whether it's masturbation with someone. It doesn't matter what it is. Any sex outside of marriage is sin. Any sin. Sex. The author of Hebrews said this. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now can I point out something to you? That word marriage bed, it's the Greek word koite. It's the word that we get our English word coitus from. Which is the word for sexual intercourse. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying there is that sexual intercourse must be pure within marriage. Because God's going to hold the adulterer, those who have sex outside of marriage with someone other than their husband or wife, or fornication, porneia, which is every other type of sexual sin, God is going to hold them accountable. So how can we maintain sexual purity? Let me give you two things, and we're going to wrap this up. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, I want you to listen to what it says. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, who practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were once just like this, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is he saying? He's saying on your own, Most likely, you're not going to have victory over sexual sin. And as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he's saying, so many of you were caught up in these sins. This is who you were, but something happened to you. You were made holy. You were made right with God. The Spirit of God is living within you. Listen, if you want to have victory over sexual temptation, then you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And there are some of you here who say that you're believers and yet you're living in sexual sin right now with no shame, no regret, no remorse. And I'm here to tell you, you are as lost as a goose and you're headed to hell. If you're involved in sexual sin and the Spirit of God is not convicting you and breaking your heart right now of your sin and today you're not willing to turn from your sin and repent, you're lost. Because the Spirit of God is living within a believer. And so if you're saved, you've got help. If you're not saved, you need help. But once you have Jesus, you need to do something else. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, it says flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Get away. Don't take it for granted. Don't play with it. Flee from it. Now, how do we flee? Let me give you some practical things and we're, we're, we're done. First of all, make a commitment publicly 
with the person you're in a relationship with. Make the commitment. We are not going to be sexually active, period. And if you're starting to say, well, what does that mean? Where's the line? You've already crossed it. We're not going to be sexually active. And then you need to go to people who love Jesus, who will hold you accountable and say, we made this commitment, hold us accountable. That's the first thing that you need to do. The second thing you need to do is this. If you are alone with one another, you leave the lights on and you leave your clothes on. Did you hear me? Nothing good happens between people who aren't married when the lights are off. Say, well, we're just going to snuggle together. You're an idiot. It doesn't happen. Third thing. Keep four on the floor. What am I talking about? Talking about your feet. You don't lay down together on the couch under a blanket. That is stupid. You're asking for trouble. You say, I can handle it. Well, if you're a eunuch, you can. (laughs) If not, you're asking for trouble. Just don't do it. And then finally, limit your time together, especially when you're alone. Because the more you're alone together, the more danger you are of doing something you can't control. Limit your touch. Guys, look at me. Guys, if you're not married, here's what I would tell you. You don't touch your girlfriend in any way that you wouldn't touch me. (laughs) Solve the problem, won't it? You say, well, goodness gracious, Rock, you're being a prude. No, I'm just telling you, man, I'm 56 and I still have desires. And when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 and on up, man, those desires, they were flaming. And I just know that when you put yourself in a position That you're having to put on the brakes. It's hard to put on the brakes. I mean when you're going down a hill fast. Even when you slam on brakes. You don't brake right there. You skid a long way. And that skidding will get you in trouble. So flee sexual immorality. So we got to wrap this up. Here's what I want you to do. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to give your life to Jesus because you're never going to maintain purity. You're never going to understand sex the way God wants you to understand it and enjoy it apart from him. He's the creator. He's the one who made you. If you give your life to him, man, he'll help you enjoy sex more than any pornography or anything else ever will. Give your life to Jesus. Follow the creator. Second, If you're here and you're not married, make the commitment to sexual purity. Now, some of you are saying, Rocky, I've already blown it. What do I do? Here's what you do. You confess to the people that you wronged. 
You say, that's tough. You better believe it's tough. I told you I messed up. Praise God, when Sherry and I got married, she was a virgin. I wasn't. I messed up. But here's what I did. I went to people that I wronged. And I said, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? What we did was sin and it was wrong. You say, Rocky, I bet that was tough. You better believe it was tough. But I felt like it was the right thing to do. I made it right. You make it right with the people you hurt. You make it right with God. And you make the commitment now, and if you're not married, to start all over. And God will give you a second chance. If you're already married and you've got that in your past, confess it to one another. and Make it right. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Lord, I need you. I am a sinner. I've been living life my way. Forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. I know you love me. You died for me on the cross. You defeated death so that I could have new, a new life. I need it. I want it. I'm giving my life to you. Amen. And if you're here with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here and you've already messed up, you've already blown it. I want you to pray this prayer right now. But then you need to follow up on this and make it right. Dear God, I've blown it. I know I'm a believer, but I've blown it. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against the people I love. I've sinned against my own body. Forgive me. I know you have the ability to take all my sins and wash them away. You have the ability to give me a brand new start. Lord, I'm asking you for that right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.